2: Alex, it's the final tipping pitches of 2021. Can you believe it?
3: I, no, I can't. As as we were preparing for this, I was scrolling through the the episodes that we've done in this year, 2021, and definitely one of those years where uh, where decades happens.
2: You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, a lot happened this year. Although I find it hard to tell the difference between what happened this year and what happened last year, I. I like about a week ago, I sort of questioned my own reality about whether there was a full baseball season this year or whether this past right. year was the one that was shortened to 60 games. It's like, who won the World Series? <laughs> I don't even remember. This is good. Uh, the
3: baseball podcast that you, you all are listening to right now, it's struggling to figure out what happened in baseball in 2021.
2: Well, it's, which, been, it's been less than a month since the lockout went into effect. But that feels like at least six months. Mm -hmm. Given how much we've talked about it here and how much we've talked about it in other places, which I think actually at this point is longer than we've talked about it on our own show in the month of December. So I sort of feel like bad talking about the lockout, but I'm realizing also that Tipping Pitches listeners haven't really heard us talk about it that much. That's good, because
3: there's been little to nothing to actually talk about. I mean, the, tr- the trade-off of us not talking about it a ton here on the uh, podcast in the last month is that we have t- talked about it on and off basically throughout the last
2: year plus, last two years. So, you know, y'all got the groundwork. Um, we recor- we are sitting here recording this on December 26th. We are going to do a mailbag later in this episode. We're also going to talk a little bit about the news of mlb being sued mlb's antitrust exemption being challenged in a lawsuit uh over their handling of minor league baseball and we'll do a bit more year in review discussion alex but i wanted to spoil one of the questions from our mailbag as an as a chance to talk to you about your experience on christmas and and how you spent that day uh our listener jack asked how did bobby get to eat lasagna for christmas dinner I don't really, I don't understand the premise of I'm the question. Sure. I made it. Um, <laughs> it's like, is it something that I'm not permitted to eat on right. Christmas? Like, how did
3: how did Bobby get the necessary clearance to have lasagna?
2: <laughs> how did he? This is Bobby that requesting request? a flyby. Um, I made it. It was delicious. But what I want to know what you, what you did for Christmas? What did you eat? How was it? How did everything turn out? Uh, it was it was lovely. Um, there was a lot of people in the house
3: arguably arguably too many people in the house but i think that's what the holidays are for is uh, is being a little uncomfortable with once again how many people are in your house We had tamales for oh. christmas dinner is that a tradition of yours it has become one yes in recent years it's been it's
2: something that we've done for a little while now so it turned out great did you have a hand in in preparing these tamales or were you just kind of sitting on the sidelines? I know you're an accomplished chef yourself. Right. Yes. Yeah. So the preparation
3: for these tamales was um placing an order with the taqueria <laughs> that we get the tamales from.
2: Yeah. Um
3: but I didn't even help go pick them up. So I really I really wow. was
2: sidelined here. Mailing it in. Mailing it in. Um the lasagna is a Christmas tradition of mine as well. I don't I can't remember doing anything different ever. Maybe when I was very young, we did like ham or something like that. But lasagna, my dad has been making lasagna on Christmas for as long as I can remember. And I spent Christmas in Los Angeles this year. So I decided to make one myself using the same recipe as his. Didn't turn out quite as well as his, but never does. I got decades to practice. Yeah. So this was
3: your first foray into the Christmas lasagna?
2: Yeah. I did a trial run two months ago because i was afraid that i would screw it up on christmas day and ruin the entire holiday uh the trial run was even worse so i'm progressing in the right direction that you know you, that you are much like a baseball player working his way up through the minor leagues i'm getting there <laughs> i'm getting i'm getting ready for the show <laughs> uh we're gonna talk about the minor leagues like i said we'll do all of the listener questions that were submitted including some voicemails and I want to talk to you about the weirdness of 2021. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Okay, Alex. We're going to talk a little bit about the last year, the last 365 days. Uh, But before we do, I I wanted to hit on a quick bit of news we haven't had very much news uh, that's relevant to the interests of tipping pitches in the last three weeks or so but we did this past week right after uh, we put out our last episode with Adam Johnson which we had recorded ahead of time we did find out that there is a lawsuit that has been filed challenging MLB's antitrust exemption Um, this lawsuit was spawned from MLB's handling of the minor leagues where they did a complete takeover of the minor leagues and as we discussed a lot when it happened uh they cut 40 teams from 160 down to 120 um there've been a couple times throughout baseball history where MLB's antitrust exemption has been challenged most recently in 2012 when it was settled but it was a class action lawsuit from fan bases uh over the packaging of cable rights and the exclusivity and blackouts and everything like that um there's a lot of really good information from this in a write-up from recent Tipping Pitches guest Maury Brown, um, which we will link to in the description, but I feel like we should probably talk about MLB getting sued for antitrust violation because of minor league baseball. What do you think? <laughs> it does seem to speak
3: to some issues we've discussed in the past.
2: So without knowing too much about the actual case that that has been filed um, and without being a lawyer increasingly on this podcast i feel like i have to pretend like i have a law degree yes but that's okay um the plaintiffs in the case according to maury's write-up are the staten island yankees the tri-city valley cats the salem kaiser volcanoes and the norwich sea unicorns all four clubs saw their minor league affiliation with major league baseball removed under contraction um the defendant in this case the listed defendant in this case alex is one man and that man is (laughs) rob Manfred. tough scene tough scene for him um no one has commented on the pending litigation and of course it's relatively new so we don't know that much about who will hear it which direction it will go if the case is gaining momentum we will we will will of course cover that as it unfolds but this is sort of a fucked around and found out kind of moment for major league baseball at the time in real time we were like man a lot of people are not going to be happy with this decision to unilaterally just cut these 40 teams and not even really give any kind of runway for the teams that are being cut, let alone what this will do to the communities and the future of baseball and the trust between fans and Major League Baseball, the entity. But now it actually seems like it might lead to some, some hot water on the legal front.
3: Yeah, possibly. I find it kind of hard to believe that A suit like this has much in the way of legs to stand on, if only because if it was this easy, it probably would have already been done, you know? Um, I think the courts in the past have largely shied away from overturning that antitrust exemption and saying that they would rather leave it to something like Congress to make the decision. On that, you know, I think that the Supreme Court is generally wary of wading into interests of business, especially billion dollar ones,
2: yeah, and interests of like state rights versus federal rights, like they're right, exactly. that's where their power starts to fall apart a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> historically speaking, but it is just another case where
3: things are being laid out on the table in a bit more obvious fashion than in years past, than in decades past. There's probably a good argument here that the purpose of this is as much to just kind of shine a light on Major League Baseball's practices as it is, you know, an attempt to actually bring about any change when it comes to the antitrust exemption. Because that kind of is the first step is showing your hand to the the court of public opinion. Right? I think most baseball fans probably don't even know that the antitrust exemption exists or or what that means for the sport. But if you can actually start to draw a line between that rule, that exception, mm-hmm. and a lot of the more unsavory parts of baseball, then all of a sudden you know, you start to get people on your side and you say, hey, maybe the sport would be better if they didn't get to operate unilaterally
2: well i mean it's hard to say because like here's the thing with cases like this it actually doesn't follow any logic at all right <laughs> like yeah. it just follows whatever the court or individual justices on the court feel like purporting in that year or that case i mean maybe this is like sacrilege for me to say but It's not really like the legal cases in this always end. You know, it's not really like the the development of the legal cases actually end up dictating these things. Like, so much is going on behind the scenes as to whether these things get heard and how they get adjudicated. But like, there have been growing indications from the Supreme Court whether that be the recent decision for the NCAA with like then them letting the name name image and likeness agreements go through. Um, They, like, kind of went out of their way, and we talked about this at the time. The Supreme Court went out of their way. I think it was Brett Kavanaugh, which is, like, wow. (laughs) Talk about worst person you know making a good (laughs) point. Um, I think they went out of their way to kind of say that they don't understand why this antitrust exemption still exists, and that if someone wanted to lob a challenge at it, you know, they're all ears. Mm -hmm. And this seems like that, that challenge... And, you know, they've said in the past that the antitrust exemption, they've rolled it back slightly, like there have been cases that have modified their interpretation of the antitrust exemption. And though Major League Baseball still has it, it doesn't let them do anything that they want to do. And when this case in 2012 was settled, what was interesting to me about that was that at the time they basically said the Supreme Court, I forget which justice wrote this, but They basically said like the antitrust antitrust exemption as it was written in 1922 only applies really to the exhibition of baseball games. So like the physical game that's happening and other stuff like TV rights. And to me, in my mind, other stuff like the handling of minor league baseball doesn't really fall under that category because that's not the exhibition of major league baseball games being played in a stadium between two major league baseball teams. Like that, that's suddenly very different because if you're a major league team and your minor league team is in a different state and you're conducting business between you're calling guys up and sending guys back down, that is interstate commerce that is not a major league baseball game. You know what I mean? Like, there are definitely, that's definitely a pretty sound logical case in my mind that if the Supreme Court is like, yeah, we want to get rid of this exemption because, like, because the woke MLB is ruining our country or whatever the fuck they decide is the reason they want to actually listen to this for this time around. I mean, it's, it seems like tenuous for Major League Baseball. I'm not a legal scholar. Maybe we should talk to somebody who can actually speak to some of the legal aspects of this, but I don't think that this is nothing. No, I don't
3: think so either. I think it. I see it more as kind of another domino to potentially fall, and it may yeah. fall... For or against Major League Baseball, you know, this may be another scenario where it's largely left intact, but you see bits and pieces of it rolled back, or at least in an acknowledgement that the exemption does seem to stand on shakier ground than once was considered 50 or 60 years ago. So, no, I don't think that it's, that it's nothing, for sure. Again, I find it a little hard to believe that the court would completely strike down this exemption. Um, yeah especially given major league baseball's political ties and their you know the the amount of energy and money they spend lobbying uh one would think they would not simply
2: leave this up to a third party no. to to decide i mean i think that that 2012 settlement is kind of like a decent test case for what Mm -hmm. might happen here where it's like you get legitimate concessions about what they can and can't do and that did kind of change how regional cable networks were allowed to like provide stuff whatever i don't don't really remember the details of that as well maury links out to a different like a hollywood reporter article that has more details on that if you want um okay well more to come on the antitrust exemption i am sure here on tipping pitches Let's let's talk about 2021 in review. In the past, you know, we've done kind of a uh, our favorite segments of this past year, but I don't know, this this last year we had so many good ones and so many amazing guests that it's just it just becomes harder and harder to do that episode every year and I, I if you want, just go back and check it out those episodes out in full. That is that is my <laughs> recommendation to you the listener, but I wanted to talk to you kind of about is there one thing that stands out to you? this past year above all else that just felt like it was present on your mind more than any of the other things? Because of course there were like ups and downs during the baseball season. There was like stuff that really came and went like the sticky stuff controversy but is there... (laughs) You're just shaking your head like you didn't remember that that happened which is typical. Uh, But is there one thing that really stands out as a cut above the rest? That's hard to say. I mean, I think one thing that has
3: stuck with me and it's not necessarily a positive or a negative thing, but this really felt like a year where more than ever I had to kind of separate the the art from the artist when it comes to baseball. And that's not just referring to CBA negotiations, although that was obviously taking place. That was kind of a through line of the, the entire season, but it just felt like there were a lot of instances that seemed to expose a lot of the inequities in the system of baseball, economic-wise, culture-wise. There were some harrowing stories about individual players that I think really kind of put a damper on a lot of baseball fans' ability to watch and enjoy the sport. Um, and so I think like as a baseball fan, you had to do a little bit of like compartmentalizing. This year as you were as you were watching. Sort of like
2: the word of the year.
3: Yeah. But I don't know. I'm still processing, right? I may feel different weeks or months uh from now. But what about what about you?
2: No, I think you're right. I mean, I, I I think that like the sensation of this blending in from last year is a really powerful one still for me. Like these last two years feel inseparable because they they so much inform each other both on both with what we talk about week in and week out about like labor stuff with you know the entire tenor of this the labor discussions completely changed with the return to play at the beginning of 2020 and then of course that is like the thing that characterizes the attitude between those two sides that we've talked about throughout this whole year and as we continue to see throughout the month of December with reports from Evan Drellick and Jeff Passon who are very plugged into these things that the two sides are not even discussing core economics until January. So why, why should we, um, these last two years just feel blurred together off the field, almost as much as on the field. And it becomes, it's just become harder than ever to kind of like singularize individual baseball seasons without thinking of everything in the lead up and everything in the aftermath. Yeah. If that makes sense.
3: Yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like the season begins on April 1st and ends on November 1st or or whatever it is, right? There's so much kind of around the margins that you need to include to really tell a full story, to really get the full picture of the baseball season. A lot of that stuff does happen off the field, oftentimes behind closed doors but when I think of the 2021 baseball season or the 2020 baseball season or whatever, it's definitely, my first thought is not the the year that the Braves won the World Series. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> like, it actually took me a second there to
2: remind myself who won the World Series. I was like, Do- Dodgers? Does it only feel that way because we're talking about the off the field stuff so often? Like, I mean, we talk about compartmentalization, but I guess like, is there something that stands out to you this year that is like a a positive that is like trending in the correct direction? Because I do feel like, you know, as little as things change or as slowly as things change in major league baseball, I was looking back at some of our episodes from earlier in this year and just like all of the conversations that we were like lucky enough to have with people and all of the ideas that they have, And all of the, like, intelligent ways that people think and talk about the game, you know, like, when we did our If Such and Such Was Commissioner episodes and, like, those guests were talking so intelligently about direct change that could be made in baseball. And there's a part of me that just feels like even if Major League Baseball is not in a good place, there's at least a community of people sprouting up around that shared opinion that is in a good place and is trending things in the correct direction yeah i do really feel that
3: that community that we're a part of progressive minded baseball fans who like want to see a a good sport and a and a better sport in the future i do think that that community has continued to kind of build solidarity and have a little bit more of a nuanced, unified response to some of the stuff that we see happening in baseball. And that really is a positive, you know, you were asking about positive things that happened in 2021 and I'm sure there were many, and there were a lot of individual stories that really um, fascinated me and brought me joy. But one thing I was thinking of is, you know, we launched these t-shirts and bringing that up is a little self-indulgent, but it was a. I think that was an area where we were really blown away by the reception and largely spoke to, I think, people's willingness to engage with a lot of these ideas that maybe weren't even on the table three or four years ago, you know, that you and I maybe weren't even discussing. And so to see that really kind of calcify into this broader coalition of fans has been promising. And I think sets us up for a future where we don't just uncritically kind of accept the sport that's given to us, but, you know, actually try and fight for something better if that's something
2: we can do. Yeah, I I completely agree. Like, I think, you know, a year ago, maybe not a year ago, maybe more like two years ago, pre-pandemic, I think that when you and I like brought up all of this stuff with owners and we brought up all of these things with the problems facing baseball and accessibility issues and everything like that, it was so like and maybe this was the fault of our own, like maybe this is our personal growth happening in real time right now in this podcast as we discuss this, but it's like, I felt like we were so much more fatalistic than we are now. It's all, I'm sure it's a matter of perspective, but it doesn't feel like the rest of the baseball world is as fatalistic as it used to be about some of these things.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We've gotten to this place of this community being like, no matter what, I'm not leaving baseball, so we might as well change it while we're here. You yeah. know, like I used to think that we were all on a progression towards just quitting baseball because it was so bad. And now I don't feel that way. I think we're all on a progression towards being like, decoupling the idea of Major League Baseball and lowercase b, baseball, in a way that, you know, our friend and former guest of this podcast, Riff Butcher, was huge in in my understanding of, you know, that's something that we talked about on our Become the Commissioner series, so to speak. This idea of just like, there are actually two separate buckets that we're talking about here. There is like baseball, the thing that you love, the things that you love the most about it and major league baseball, which there, there's a large section in the middle of that Venn diagram, but the, the middle is not the whole thing. And that's something that we just spent a lot of time discussing on a, another episode of working people, a bonus episode, which we mentioned we would be on. And if you haven't checked out our, our kind of shorter episode with on the working people podcast, go check that out with Maximilian Alvarez. And, our friend Jessica Rain was also on this bonus episode, but just like Maximilian, I thought, did a really smart thing and asked us, what do you love about baseball and how did you come to love baseball before we ever even started talking about the conceit of the reason that we were back there for a bonus episode was all of the ways that capitalism has ruined baseball. (laughs) And that paradigm shift, I feel like, is much more present than it used to be. It's like we're coming to it from a place of love first and then a place of anger, as opposed to just being angry as soon as we get on the podcast every week. (laughs)
3: Yeah, there's certainly a bit more levity that I think we can approach a lot of these discussions with, right? If you if you acknowledge that you're in the bad place, that's, you know, you're already starting kind of from a place where you you can't take more losses yep. that like demoralize you more, you know, if it sets you up for success down down the road, which is not to just say like, well, keep your low expectations <laughs> in, in in case Things get better and it's a nice surprise. But there kind of is a little bit of that with watching baseball, with watching any sport, really, of kind of acknowledging that maybe this ultimately isn't for you at the end of the day. You are not the the number one stakeholder to a lot of the people who own the teams. And if you can acknowledge that, I think a lot of stuff becomes a lot clearer and easier to understand the workings of.
2: One more thing I want to highlight from our last year, specifically, Alex is, and I'll I'll let you give a shout out to any specific episode that stuck with you, but I think that like doing the CBA ABCs for the last few weeks prior to our episode last week with Adam Johnson, I it's hard for me to imagine being able to do that Mm -hmm. like a year ago or two years ago. Not that like we couldn't have read the CBA and like given it our best shot. But just like, from from a from a listener community perspective, like people receiving that so warmly and being like, "This is so helpful," you know. Thank you guys for doing this. These guests were really informative, and they they were all of the guests that we had for the CBA ABCs were phenomenal. Um, and just but just like being receptive to a thing like that, from from us, where we're just like sometimes cracking jokes, sometimes talking legalese, <laughs> is it's just just a, it's just amazing it's just thank you to everybody who listened to those and who is now giving our podcast a shot because they found those and that was the first time that they listened
3: yeah i I appreciate everyone who listened and engaged with us while we were at our most granular at our <laughs> at our most opaque at times um as well as goofy you know i i I feel like there might be two two kinds of tipping pitches, listeners. Like you're here for like the nitty gritty, like newsy stuff, and we start uh, ranting about you know new era hats and and you're out, and and you're out, and and then the listeners who come for that, who come for Taylor Swift, and say, seriously, we're doing CBA again. <laughs> um, well, whichever kind you are, we we appreciate you all being here. It's we've had a lot of fun this year. I think my favorite thing that we talked about was the all-star game Uh, (laughs) just (laughs) the gift that keeps on giving it really really was yeah i'm I'm gonna miss that next year
2: i was gonna say i'm sad that we're gonna have to leave that behind a thing that came up on our dumbest things of 2021 episode with batting around uh, which was one of my favorites to do Um, I think there's a third type of Tipping Pitches listener, Alex. The one that comes for both of those things. Those people are very sweet. Many of them wrote in questions for our end of year mailbag, which we're going to get to right after this break.
4: All
2: right. It's been a while since we had some voicemails. I I don't think we've done any voicemails since the 200th episode, have we? No, we haven't. All right, well, let's start it off with a voicemail then.
0: What's up, fellas? Um, I love your podcast. You guys are fantastic. Um, And I'm a new baseball fan. I got into baseball, like, this year, actually. And one of the things that got me into it was you guys' podcast. I have a couple friends. I'm in college right now. um, And I have a couple friends that, uh, you know, are are, are on the the lefty side. And and, uh, they showed me this podcast. I have one baseball fan that I know. He got me into you guys, and and you guys got me to baseball, and I, I appreciate that. You know, um, I don't, uh, I don't know anyone in football media that is like, as insightful, you know, funny, and and has as many things to say that matter that you guys do, and that has drawn me away from the sport that I always felt bad about watching, uh, because it kills its players. Um, and I, I thank you for that. It makes me feel better as a person. Um, and it makes me feel better as a fan because the sports that I watch now is fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I just, I have one question for you guys and it's, uh, you know, I guess it, it has a lot to do with, um, you know, in the future. And, um, I want to know, uh, how many more people will be like me in the future and, and will pick up the game of baseball. I read a lot about, um. You know how baseball is. You know the, the the endless discourse of like, is baseball dying? Is I'm sure exhausting, especially for you guys when you talk about baseball all the time. But I would like to know what you think about. You know, is 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 this ever gonna happen? Is anyone gonna know who Shohei Otani is in in like, I don't know, 30 years? Well, well is is that is that like saying like a cricketer name in in 30 years like it is now? Um, anyway, yeah, sorry that was rambling, but um, I love you guys dearly. Um, I will be sure to buy a shirt, um, and I will be sure to start uh, a baseball league and name it something specific t- pitchers related, because my school does not have intramural baseball. So, uh, goodbye and happy holidays.
2: Uh, Alex, my first piece of advice for this listener is to uh, don't get put out of business by Major League Baseball for breaking their antitrust exemption by starting your own baseball league. Uh, the second thing I'd like to say to this listener is thank you so much. This is just one of the nicest voicemails we've ever received. And uh, I'm so happy that you were able to get into the sport of baseball because it is very rewarding, even if sometimes it is very challenging, uh, which I think if you're a listener of Tipping Pitches, you know that. um, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing to me that people would pick up the sport of baseball, America's <laughs> pastime, by listening to us talk about it in silly ways. But I... I'm flattered beyond belief. Um, Alex, to the question of is anybody gonna be new baseball be a new baseball fan in 30 years? Tough one. It's a complicated question. Do you have thoughts on that? Um,
3: well, the the sport, the fan base of this sport will certainly look different in 30 years. And I don't think it will have grown smaller necessarily. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that a good swath of uh, current baseball fans may, may their time may have come in, in 30 years. <laughs> so uh, just, just by the nature of how life works, we will, there is a generation of baseball fan that maybe won't <laughs> be dictating um, things as
2: they are right now. I We're just talking about census data right now. Yeah, literally breaking it down to the basics, human biology.
3: I I find it hard to believe that a multi-billion-dollar sports industry is gonna just slowly vanish as as its fans do. <laughs> um, I I do think right now, as we talked about, MLB is kind of facing this reckoning with its future, and right now it has the chance to kind of reach out and and take its future that's sitting right there in front of him with its personality with the uniqueness of a lot of their players right now the the youth and their diversity right now they have a chance to take it but in 30 years it will be forced upon them and it will be forced to adapt and i don't think it will be as easy for it to make that sort of pivot as it is right now, where things are still kind of in a more fluid place. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it would have been easier 15 years ago. But of course, right. b- baseball is never going to be the first to do anything. Um, not anymore, at least. I think that, well, for, the first thing I will say is that nothing this big ever goes away. You know, like nothing that is as big as baseball is now, was as big as baseball was at its peak, will ever really just go away entirely like even boxing pay-per-view has huge events still you know what i mean like there are people there are less people who care about it than they used to but that's because everybody's attention is a lot more divided than it used to be i think that like we're in this cultural moment of punting on being general interest and really honing in on on like exciting the fans that you already have more and more and more and i think you've seen baseball try to do that a little bit, but not in the way, not in the tasteful way that we would have hoped or that we would hope for in the future. Like they've doubled down on stuff like the television audience, you know, and like keeping the streaming, or keeping the television audience at the ex- at the expense of people who want to like stream all thirty teams in the team in their market with blackout restrictions, and they've they've brought in all of these sports gambling partnerships you know, for the sake of money and for revenue and stuff. But, you know, there are people who are like really into sports betting who are like, I like baseball more now because I get to bet on it. Like they're extracting as much as possible from the fans that they have. I think the thing that we lament most frequently is that that means they're also extracting our money at the same time. I think that there could be a better balance with the way that baseball handles keeping its core fans engaged. Because I think that, like, they haven't really had that full realization that they're not going to be the biggest sport in the world anymore or the biggest sport in this country anymore. And they're not making decisions based on keeping their new fans happy and attracting more fans. Like, they're making decisions based on logic from 30 years ago. And. I think you can pin a lot of that on Rob Manfred. I think you can pin a lot of that on the owners, but it's hard to assign blame on whose fault that really is. You know, I would be remiss if we did not mention that one of the fastest growing demographics of baseball fans is younger women. That's despite all of the terrible decisions and climate towards women fans in baseball. So if they were ever to actually get their shit together and start making decisions with a different you know, single ideal with more than just one single ideal fan being a 60 year old white guy who has like expendable cash and wants to teach his son about the designated hitter. Like if they were ever able to make decisions with, with more than just that guy in mind, I think that there is just huge potential. And, you know, this caller mentioned Shohei Otani. It's like right there in front of their faces, like how to do that once they make that decision and once they have that mindset shift. Because we have guys like Otani, we have guys like Vlad Guerrero Jr., we have guys like Fernando Tatis, and baseball could become internationally sensational in a way that they just, like, they just have never been able to quite figure out. Because it, it just doesn't need to be like 50 million people watching it on Sunday, like the NFL or the Super Bowl. It doesn't need to be like that to be thriving and successful and sustainable. Because like, how many people watch stuff on Netflix? Like millions, but not like a hundred million. You know, it's not like how many people are watching I Love Lucy, but Netflix is like incredibly successful and you're never, you're never like Netflix is dying. Streaming is dying. Like we're just in a world where you don't need to be that mass appeal anymore, but baseball is still pretending like they're going to be or that they are still, even though that we know they're not.
3: Yeah. It definitely seems like they are kind of playing catch up and trying to adapt their sport to a rapidly changing, uh, I guess, attention economy. And they spend a lot of time trying to tweak the game, tweak the rules so that maybe it seems, you know, 3% more appealing to younger fans who have shorter attention spans. When in reality, that's the difference that makes is going to be negligible at the end of the day, because you shave a 10 minutes off the time of a baseball game is not going to bring you an influx of millions of young fans. I think if anything I think if anything they really should be kind of leading leaning into the individuality of the sport in that sense, right? The cadence of the game is so different from other sports and I think for much of the game's history that was considered a virtue of it, right? And so I think it's kind of on Major League Baseball to lean into that a little bit. And to a certain extent, the fans as well, right? There's, we've talked ad nauseum about the kind of internal culture wars in baseball. And I think that if MLB, the institution, and kind of, you know, the average conservative fan can ease up on the reins a little bit. Like, the sport is actually moving in... (laughs) Less culture war. a good direction. I mean, honestly, it's like...
2: Famously, people who care a lot about the culture wars respond well to you telling them that the culture wars are irrelevant. Yes, exactly. That's gone so well for the wider political world. (laughs) Uh, I hear you, and I agree. I think that what they just can't admit is that people weren't paying that close attention ever. (laughs) And now they have data to prove it, and they're, like, freaking out about it. But... yeah. I don't know man like when when 19 in 1963 was every kid just running around keeping the score I don't think so they were probably just there hanging out <laughs> you know they were there to eat hot dogs and stuff like when baseball accepts that it can be secondary to entertain secondary entertainment to some and primary primary entertainment to others and they're able to like energize the people whose primary entertainment it is but also be welcoming to the people who want to use it as secondary entertainment. That, that is the fence that they need to delicately balance on. Because that is, that is the future of sports consumption. It's, like, it's not just people sitting there staring at it, not doing anything else. It's people doing a lot of other shit. Which, if you're not the type of person who likes that, then fine, you don't have to be. But they need to accept that most people like to do a lot of stuff at the same time now. Just because of the proliferation of technology and how much stuff has changed. Yeah. And like, you know, like it or not,
3: but sports betting is a way that I think they're trying to tap into that, right? I mean, yeah, I I don't that, like it. I think it's <laughs> the, you know, and I mean, it turns out in the, you know, I mean, it's, it results in the bastardization of the sport and I think leads to a lot of, uh, Stabbing real issues repeatedly. and conflicts of interest down the road. Yeah. But it at least feels in tune with kind of how the average sports fan is interested in watching sports these days, which yeah. is, I think, something you cannot say for a lot of other decisions
2: Major League Baseball makes right now. So, so <laughs> did we just talk ourselves into saying that sports betting is actually good for the progression of baseball? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we, spent, we, we better stop. We better move on to the next question. Uh, next question comes from Josh in an email. Um, Josh says, it seems like the problem of small market owners pocketing that money has an easy solution. This is in response to our CPA ABCs. Couldn't the commissioner enforce a rule that the owners have to put the money back into the baseball team? Second question, when can I expect a Kansas City Royals-themed Unionize the Miners shirt release? I need to support one in Kansas City and at their games for their AAA a club, the Omaha Storm Chasers. Uh, second question first. I don't know, man. I can't answer any when can you expect a unionize the miners from this? team from team x because the way that we make decisions on the unionized and manners designs is we're like it's been a while since we put out a new shirt alex what do you think would be a good next design and then you say i like the diamondbacks colors and then i say that would right, be colors sick. <laughs> yeah i would <laughs> i say that would be sick man and then you design it <laughs> there's no other <laughs> grand <laughs> plan like, there's no, we're not trying to game anything. We're not trying to, like, these shirts are being donated. Like, we're not trying to take over the world with them. Everybody's like, do a Mets shirt. It'll be huge. And I'm like, everybody chill.
3: <laughs> we're not doing any team-themed shirts anyway, just to be clear. These are. They're based on color schemes. They are based on color schemes. They might be um, an an ode to a franchise. Creative interpretation.
2: Exactly. That's your specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, the first question now, couldn't the commissioner enforce a rule that the owners have to put the money back into the baseball team? No, <laughs> no. I mean, that, that rule could exist, but you'd have to get all of the owners to agree to it and they have right. it. Yes. Right. That's, that's really the,
3: the cut of it. Like, yes, Rob Manfred could in theory enforce a rule to do a lot of stuff that would address the very things we talk about week in and week out. But he he needs to get the owner's buy-in, otherwise he's going to be out of the job real quickly, right? And I think the owners have very little interest in requiring that. You know, if Rob Manfred walked up to them and said, Hey, I'd like to volunteer us to all make our books available to the public, I have a feeling the owners might not be like, You know what? That's fair. That's fair. People should see how we're spending our money.
2: <laughs> well, this question... With regards to revenue sharing, it needs to be in the collective bargaining agreement. Because as we talked about on the revenue sharing episode, revenue sharing has a material impact on player wages so therefore it must be collectively bargained over. Um, And a rule saying that the owners have to put the money back into the baseball team would need to be explicitly put in the CBA the way that it is in other sports leagues. So like in basketball, this is literally all they argue about basically in every CBA unless the people who run the players union are willing to just roll over like they have been in the past decade Uh, but is basketball related income which is sort of what Josh is talking about here you'd have to like say this much of baseball related income needs to be put back into the team but that is the thing that the union wants That's Rob Manfred has no interest in arguing for that because if the money is put back into the team that means more salaries for players and the owners would never agree to that. Not even the big market owners would really want that, I don't think. A a rule that says you have to put this much money back into a thing is a slippery slope to start talking about. It's a slippery slope towards telling owners what they can and can't do with their revenue, which is not what they want.
3: Well, and to a certain degree, they are required to reinvest the money that they get into, you know. The well-being of their teams, right? Invest. No, they, they can't like pay off into, their personal
2: debts, right? Exactly. <laughs> but the White you know, made a compelling <laughs> argument that they can.
3: <laughs> Where you get into hairy territory is, you know, what do you define as baseball-related revenue? Can you spend that money on scouting? Can you spend it on the stadium? Can you spend it on X? line item that maybe indirectly benefits the team down the road you know like
2: yeah you could spend it on anything and say that it's better for the you're like you could spend it on something that you say is an investment towards increasing the franchise value in the future which every other owner would be like yes i sign off on that yeah as long as franchise values are going up then it's always worth owning a team
3: you know yeah yeah so it's really a question of enforcement which as we said, Rob Manfred has no interest in doing probably because
2: he likes having a job. Okay. Let's, uh, let's pivot back to the voicemails.
4: Hi, uh, this is Christina. I've tweeted at you a couple times, but first time caller. I um, was from Seattle, moved to the East Bay. Um, and I have gone to quite a few games at the Coliseum this past season um, uh, but then uh this past weekend, um uh, my significant other's holiday party uh was hosted at the Coliseum and I went and I have conflicting feelings about it, um, uh, especially being a tipping p- pitches uh listener, um of, you know, supporting the organization through hosting and going to a private event hosted there. Um, in the off season. So, yeah. Uh, just wanted to call and get some help kind of figuring out how I should compartmentalize all of that. So, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for Todd. You guys are great. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.
3: season of compartmentalizing
2: strikes again. <laughs> this one's all <laughs> you, man. This is like, I could hear, I could see you having this discussion with me (laughs) over text if this would, if you lived in the East Bay still.
3: I don't know. I don't have a good answer for this. It's, I get that it feels really kind of icky to be participating in that ecosystem that's not directly related to baseball, right? Like the A's are getting your business for something that has absolutely nothing to do with their actual business with the product that they you know present but also if they're not soliciting you know this company's uh holiday party business for to be held at the coliseum then it's going to be another company you know like at the end of the day they're going to fill these spots really no matter what so, I don't know. Maybe the best thing you can do is go to the holiday party and smack a Unionize the Miners sticker on yeah. the policy and wall while
2: you're there. That's right. right. Like, That's what I was getting ready to say. You could wear... Maybe this is not holiday party appropriate, but you could wear your A's Unionize the Miners shirt. <laughs> <laughs> or um, even better, smack a sticker, like you said. I think that this is just a no-conscious consumerism under capitalism kind of situation. They will just do this holiday party with, like, Raytheon or Deloitte or... <laughs> <laughs> any of these other companies like and also it wasn't your company it's your significant other and i think this is totally fine i know yeah,
3: it's your significant other who should be having the moral reckoning right
2: now uh, personally i think this sounds kind of cool like a cool place for a holiday party the a's get money in much worse ways than you getting to look at the baseball field during right, your significant like in, other's holiday party i think it's like at the very cool.
3: least you get to like be at the coliseum and yeah drinking, like
2: when no one else is there if they want to, they're going to move the A's out of Oakland, whether or not you boycott the holiday party. So I think that this is a sort of a cool use for a, a stadium, you know, that has required public funding. You might as well get to use it for a holiday party if the A's aren't going to use it for baseball. It's so true. I'm being serious. Uh, I hope that you had a great time at the holiday party. And uh, apologies for not getting to answer this voicemail before said holiday party.
5: Hey guys, um, it's me, Jamie, uh, longtime listener of any time caller. Um, I'm just walking around my neighborhood right now. I thought I'd give you guys a call. I tossed most recent episode to, to call into you guys. Um, I've been thinking a lot this week about sports media and uh, previously a field that I really wanted to get into, but uh, I've been nature with. MLB lockout, I've been focusing a little bit more on other sports and kind of realizing like this industry is kind of the worst. Um, Like most industries, industry is pretty bad in general, but uh, sports media specifically. So I was kind of just going to ask you guys, like, how do you kind of grapple with that? I know you get a lot of questions like, how do I even be a fan of this? Um, But I feel like this one's a little bit different because the media landscape is what it is, so... Thank you guys. Uh great
2: job as always. This is an interesting question, uh Jamie. Thank you for calling. It because we used to talk about this a lot more often. Like at the beginning of this show, we we talked about bigger sports media stories before we were like, let's just hone this thing in to be much more closely aligned with just baseball and baseball labor and the wider baseball economy. But I don't know, th- this is a very hard question because On one hand, I think that Jamie's conceit is correct that sports media is like a kind of fucked industry (laughs) where there's like a lot of overhauling that needs to be done and a lot of like undoing of past mindsets and the way that power functions in sports media and the way that the stratification of what the biggest stars make versus like what most of the workers in sports media are able to earn. But I also think, like, even since we started doing this show, like, there are more and more independent sports media or just media generally success stories that are kind of encouraging. And that's not even just to say, like, somebody started a podcast and it blows up for whatever reason and they make money off Patreon. But there are, like, more worker-owned things. Like, we've made friends with people who run podcast collectives like Multitude. There's defector which like broke off its, it's own own whole story which like we could spend an hour talking about but broke off from a kind of evil sports media corporation and is now uh, worker owned and fan supported and they seem to be doing really well so like I think that the industry has changed a lot and if there are things that there are things that you identify about the sports media world that you don't like then create something that goes against that like, that's kind of what we've tried to do here, you and I, where it's like we could have gotten really good at giving like radio takes. We could have gotten really good at X's and O's analysis or like play by play or something, you know. I don't know that I could have gotten to <laughs> those things. But we could have tried, right? <laughs> but that's not what we do. And it's not what we wanted to do. And it's not what we were personally interested in doing, even though I have a lot of respect for people who do that stuff in a. In a responsible way. And so we were just able to create something different than that. And like there are a whole host of people who are nice enough to listen to that. And that sort of accessibility, I think, has improved sports media a lot.
3: There are definitely more avenues to enter the world of sports media than there were 10 or 15 years ago. And that decentralization has broken down a lot of the barriers to access... That existed for the longest time among so many legacy media operations and at the same time has created an economy that, that, as you said, kind of has led to this stratification right? of a small number of well-paid, well-regarded sports media figures and an entire class of largely young folks who are interested in writing and talking about the sport in usually really unique and different ways that will do it for cheap or free, right? I mean, like, I feel like sports media in particular is kind of facing that, that whole notion of, well, there's someone out there who's willing to do it for less than you, you know? And I think that's been very ingrained into kind of like the journalistic mind that it's hard to break free from that idea. So like sports media will certainly always be around in some fashion and it's kind of on the, yeah, the, the workers to seize back a little bit of that control. But I do think that we live at a really fascinating time in sports media because there are so many different forms of consumption and ways of getting your ideas, your opinions, your voice out into the world. I don't know. It kind of feels like we're in the tunnel right
2: now where things are rapidly
3: changing and it's hard to say what it'll look like 10, 15, 20 years out.
2: But it also feels like there are different exits out of the tunnel for different people. You know, like, you know, you don't work in sports media. Like we do this podcast. This is the extent of your engagement with sports media. You work for a nonprofit and that's totally fine. You can do this part time. I do work in sports media. But, <laughs> or we can make this our full time job maybe one day. I do work in sports media, but I also work at a place where my coworkers and I unionized. And that is a lot more popular in the last five to 10 years than it ever was 20, 30 years ago. Obviously, newsrooms were unionized, but like digital media unionization has been a huge trend in this industry. A lot of that comes from that idea, that sentiment that you're sharing, where in sports media, you're told that you're replaceable a lot, which is just not true. If you were replaceable, they'd replace you a lot more frequently than they do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, And if you're somebody who's working a job where you're being told that you're replaceable, what would happen if everybody who was told that they were replaceable left at the same time and the company had to replace you? Just, just think about that. Um, you just have to hit it on multiple fronts. Like, We just have to change. There's no one silver bullet that is going to just like revolutionize sports media and make it a much more equitable place I think that there are smaller revolutions that need to happen within it and one of those things is like you're talking about the decentralization but even within that like we do have to fight other forces of stratification like just letting all of the ad revenue money or whatever money is being pumped into sports media letting that go to all the people at the top like we just have to there needs to be other mechanisms that fight against that and I think that like You know, things like Patreon or like things like user based ad networks and stuff like that in sports media are in a in a in in an imperfect way doing some of that work. I guess that's not a perfect answer for whether or not uh, sports media is a good industry to go into. But I think it's uh, it's a personal choice. Yep. Well said. All right. Next question comes from FUT underscore AST. It's a question about the collective bargaining negotiations right now. If you were the union, what's the one must-have provision and what's the one provision you'd be willing to concede? So a two-parter. They say that they would need to have earlier free agency and they'd be willing to give up the no salary cap stance to get it. I'll say for me, this is a hard question to answer without... (laughs) Not to be... Not to be too literal, but like without being on the MLB executive committee, you know, like MLBPA (laughs) executive committee, because as a union representative, it is your obligation to give the best deal to your members and fight for what they want to fight for. Because you are only as powerful as what, as the membership, you're only as powerful as the ideas that the membership is willing to get behind. So if you're having conversations with people and they're like, no, we, we never want to have a salary cap, like you can't say. But it's best for you in the long run, if we agree to a salary cap. Like that is, you are not representing your membership in a law, like in a legal way, really. Like you have a legal obligation to fight on their behalf as a union leader. So, but in a in a vacuum, I think the thing that you must have is, I, I agree that the thing that you must have is earlier free agency because that is the largest area of salary exploitation currently facing MLB and there are two ways that you can attack that there you can get a year of service time back but you would have to give up a lot for that or you'd have to go on strike for a very long time for that or you can try your darndest to increase the minimum salary so that it's like a million and those guys are not being quite as exploited even if they are even if their their total value to the franchise is still being exploited. We're currently just under a system where players' value is exploited so that owners can make a larger portion of the pie.
3: Yeah, I don't know what the single provision would necessarily be that they would look for, but certainly I think you have to address the growing discrepancy between the amount of value that young players are bringing and the amount that they are getting compensated for that and whether that is raising the minimum salary or doing away with arbitration completely or completely overhauling the notion of service time right and bringing under your wing rookie players whose service time is being manipulated or 4a players who are kind of bouncing back and forth between the majors and the minors (laughs) that to me feels like maybe not an existential threat to the sport but certainly the most certainly the place that has received the least amount of attention from the players union over the last two decades
2: i think that if we were going to name a must-have provision that would help with that the most it would be the uniform player contract including a provision that that service time is as soon as you sign a professional contract right not Once you get called up because that would basically kill service time manipulation, like whether it's 10 years or whether it's eight years or whatever, you could actually negotiate the shorter, the better from whenever you sign your professional contract, you hit free agency, including the time spent in the minor leagues, not just after you've been called up because then that would shift that clock back earlier for most guys because they're just ready earlier and there's no reason for clubs to hold them down and try to gain their extra service time. And then that's like a domino effect. You, you're not hitting free agency when you're 31 and seeing all these teams being unwilling to give you the big money. You're maybe hitting it when you're 25 if you're that good. Or if you're Juan Soto, you're hitting it when you're... <laughs> <laughs> this this creates a problem for the Juan Sotos of the world where the team's like, he's 16, but he's ready for Major League pitching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are the ethics of child labor in Major League Baseball? Right.
3: <laughs> 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 yeah, but ultimately, like I think that the the players' union doesn't have to worry so much about the Juan Sotos of the world, right? And shouldn't and shouldn't be, at least not for these specific reasons, right? There are other broader ethical considerations in the case of players like Juan
2: Soto. What would you be willing to give up? Because the obvious answer is expanded playoffs because that's what we think that the union is going to give up. Yeah. But I don't know how willing I am to give that up. And this is not posturing on behalf of the Union. This is fear-mongering on behalf of the fans. (laughs) I think that expanded playoffs is going to hurt to watch. It's going to be hard to adjust to for the first few years because there are going to be some pretty bad teams getting in. Yeah. And I don't know if that that will increase competition or if it'll just continue to just put pretty bad teams in. Like the NFL, bad teams make the playoffs in the NFL. 16 of 32 teams make the playoffs in that league. And that is a league with much more parity, but it's pretty evident sometimes when the teams that suck make it in, yeah. And in the yeah. NBA, in the NBA, that's a problem too. And where sixteen of thirty teams make it in, and you're you have teams that are under five hundred and are hopeless. And I don't want a team like that accidentally eliminating the Dodgers because Max <laughs> Scherzer got a dead arm. You know, like that's just yeah. not good for baseball.
3: Yeah, it's baseball not good for the has the randomness, either. the randomness element to it that heightens that possibility. Yeah, I don't think you can give up expanded playoffs in a vacuum without attaching to it provisions that would create a more equitable competitive environment right like i don't think you could just give that up point blank without extracting concessions elsewhere like i think a place to the to this listener's point i think a place where you may be willing to have a little more flexibility as on something like a salary cap because that already exists to some extent. Yeah. Like I I again, in a vacuum, you're not going to just tell the owners that they can that they only have to pay so much money, right? You want that to somehow be tied to rising revenues. But I think if you can guarantee a more equitable distribution of money across the league, across players, as long as you know that owners are not getting an increasing share of the pie i think that's something that i'd be willing to to concede
2: Mar- duck underneath that lightning bolt that marvin miller is sending down from the heavens i know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna strike you down be careful next time you walk outside okay next question
6: hey guys this is ken ball uh, first time caller big fan of the pod uh love everything you guys do I'm also uh, into my third decade as a dues-paying union member, and uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on rocking MLB gear um, at this time of great labor strife. I feel like I am crossing a picket line uh, by wearing that Harmon and Killedru logo on gear I already own. I'm definitely not buying anything new right now from MLB, uh, and I know there's no actual picket line. I get it's a management lockout. Uh, that players haven't called a strike. There's no actual picket line, but you know MLBPA made this position pretty clear, as has been outlined on the pod, that uh, you know they're not they're going to be digging their heels in pretty firmly, and so the lockout plus you know taking away like post-surgical PT and 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 uh, and mental health treatment is pretty and among other things, pretty big shot across the bow by by management. So wanted to get you guys thoughts. Um, uh, I, you know, like, I don't, I don't drink Coors, for example, uh, uh, because P. Coors is a neo-Nazi union buster, and, and I don't, uh, consume Stelladoro, uh, because of the union shenanigans there. I'm kind of cherry-picking. Nobody's perfect. No such thing as ethical consu- consumption under capitalism, of course. Um, um but yeah, on this particular issue, I want to know what you guys think. Is wearing MLB gear during the lockout, uh, i can't be crossing the picket line thanks love your guys' work every
2: time take care this is a fascinating question uh and and one that i've found myself grappling with in different with different companies like you know uh this listener mentions cores and they mention stella like it's a it's actually a really hard thing to internally debate with yourself like should I buy Oreos like a week after the strike is over or you know what I mean? Like it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth the way that they handled it. But also at the same time, if that union is not asking you to boycott the product, then you actually might be doing more harm to them in the long run than good by taking this personal stance. Because if nobody buys it, then their revenues will go in the tank and they'll just fire all of the union members. Anyway, They'll, they'll just lay them all off anyway. With this specific question, I just, I'm not going to be wearing MLB gear anyway, most likely, although I'll wear my Mets hat around. Like, I'm not making a point of it to not wear it. If the union was like, put a piece of tape over your MLB logo until the lockout is over, like, I would do that. But (laughs) other than that, I don't think that it's really akin to crossing the picket line for me, unless they said, don't wear this. Like, I wouldn't buy new stuff either. But I also think if you wanted to buy new stuff, though, Presumably, once the CBA is agreed to, that money will also still get distributed in the way equally to the players in the way that it was before in terms of licensing with the MLBPA. So I I don't even think either way you're hurting the union's efforts by, you know, partaking in wearing your MLB merchandise. But if you're really wrestling with it, just buy some Tippy Pitches merch instead. <laughs> get Get some money to the minor leaguers. Forget the major league union right now.
3: Yeah, I have to agree with that. That feels more like a personal decision than a political choice. Yeah. I I don't necessarily know that it's a it's a question of morality but more just kind of of your comfort level. Um as someone who engages with the sport regularly i almost feel like it would be it would be dishonest to tuck away my hat right now you know <laughs> now i'm like no this is i'm digging my heels in this is the sport i have bound my life to and you know maybe it's it opens up opportunities to uh to talk to other people about this sort of thing right they point at yeah. your hat and and they say hey you're an ace fan and you say well those
2: greedy players. No, they, say, they say, actually, hey, those I'm greedy not. players are ruining the sport, and you say, actually, right exactly. sir, I <laughs> take actually. a seat. That's right. I think I think it's more of a personal decision than really a decision that affects the integrity of the union stance during this lockout.
3: Yeah, but I don't begrudge anyone for taking that stance either.
2: I think if the owners were like keeping it going for a year and all, you were still wearing like the A's logo, you know, or you were just like buying a new A's hat, I think that would be probably pretty weird i think at that point you should be turned off <laughs> from mlb merchandise like if the sport is blown up then yeah we can have that conversation again but for now i think it's i think it's okay one more voicemail and then one final question that we got from twitter alex
1: hey guys uh, my name is matt uh, i was talking to my friend who's a soccer fan last week about the baseball strike and we came to the conclusion after a few google searches that his favorite team uh, chelsea football club one of the best teams in the english league um, the winner of last year's European Champion League, uh, they run a similar payroll pay to my favorite team, the Giants, which was a little, a, a little strange considering the global audience that soccer has, to, to, to find out that one of the top, like, biggest spending teams runs a payroll smaller than that of the Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, Angels, right? Um, especially when the TV rights to the United States uh, alone is somewhere around $3 billion, which divided by 20 English League teams would be like $135 million a year. So it's strange to see that they're running such a small payroll. And I guess my question is, how do you get this bad? How are owners so good at um, taking control of the conversation and uh, convincing fans uh, to not even think about this sort of thing? Because my friend, like the relative payroll rate between MLB and his soccer team, he didn't even think about it or he didn't even – Question: Why baseball teams, actually just baseball teams, can run bigger payrolls than the best soccer teams in Europe, which have a global audience? So I guess my question is just like, how is this possible? How is it this bad?
2: Anyway, uh, thanks and good Giants. This is a fascinating question, uh, and one that you don't often think to ask yourself. Like, where is MLB? We, I mean, we frequently talk about where is MLB in regards to the other American sports leagues, but you know, the world is an increasingly global place. Sports are an increasingly global industry. It's fun to kind of check in with other sports leagues. That's why we wanted to talk to Ryan O'Hanlon about youth development in soccer earlier this year, which was a, a fun and revelatory conversation for us, I think. Um, the the first thing that stands out is that... Well, a couple things that stand out as very as very different between MLB and the Premier League specifically... Number one being that Premier League clubs have a lot of expenses that MLB punts on. Like they actually have to invest in their youth development or they actually choose to invest in their youth development. So all of the costs that MLB saves on the minor leagues, Chelsea Football Club has to actually spend real money there developing their academy so that they can develop good young players in a semi ethical way. There are problems with youth academies in soccer just as there are problems with like youth academies in baseball in you know the Dominican Republic and places like that, but they are actually paying for the expenses of these people to live there and develop at, in soccer. And if you want to hear more about that, you should like I said go back and listen to our conversation with Ryan O'Hanlon. So that is one reason why the the actual professional club doesn't have as much money to go towards payrolls because they're, they're legitimately spending it in other places that MLB clubs are not. Uh, I would guess another reason is that MLB clubs save a lot of money on like extorting cities into building stadiums for them and th- these, I don't think that the Premier League clubs get as much municipal money just based on knowing Europe's attitude towards putting public funding towards private things. They don't do that as often there. Um, the last reason is the sort of more complicated one which is that those there is a european soccer players union but they they don't like negotiate cbas basically like with these with these clubs so there's not really as robust of a set of rules that dictates how much the younger less influential players make so while the Messis and the ronaldo's of the world make millions and millions and millions of dollars similar to how Baseball players make huge contracts at the top end. The guys on the lower end, it's much more of a hawkish free market towards them where their wages are not going to be as high. So it's not going to push the total team expenditure, the total team payroll up higher than like this, the, the New York Mets or the New York Yankees, because they don't have to spend as much in the lower end or as the middle class, even as baseball. So they have a big problem with that. It's basically like the baseball free market on steroids over there the way that they handle player contracts and negotiations.
3: I'm glad you had a response to that question. <laughs> uh, knowing nothing about the economics of soccer beyond the fact that there's a lot of money in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that is that is the extent of my knowledge. Um, well, it's even more stratified, though. Like, Right, yes. But that ultimately in a weird way ends up saving the owner's money in the aggregate because they're just like, well, you're not Leonel Messi, so I'm not going to pay you any money at all. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, not nothing, but like, I'm not going to pay you. There's no like $15 million a year, like reliever equivalent. Really? That's a shame. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I love Craig Kimbrell to the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you ready for this last question? Yeah, let's let's do it. Okay, Jeff asks, what is the ideal leftist MLB future? Big one here. Big one here, Alex. He says, I know y'all have mentioned municipal ownership, but how can other leftist ideals combine with pro-baseball in a realistic or semi-realistic future, or even a hypothetical future such as a moneyless society? This is a great question. Yeah. A question that I first started to consider most seriously when we did our episode about could fans own a team. Right. Because we actually kind of played out these hypotheticals in a real life way. And then pushing beyond that, it's a little bit more of a question mark. I mean, there are so many different
3: directions that this could go in. Um, Is the ideal future one where it's still a billion dollar industry, but a vast majority of that revenue gets redirected back into the communities in in which teams are based? is it no longer a billion dollar industry because it doesn't really need to be i certainly think that like option 1 is more realistic because there's always going to be money in this sort of thing in entertainment and until again as as jeff mentions there is a more radical shift in how we think about money yeah i think that teams that were owned by municipalities or owned by cities is a decently ideal outcome yeah if only because it means maybe a little bit more public accountability beyond that i think it's really hard to say i don't know what is what comes to mind for you
2: it kind of like breaks my brain to try to imagine any industry with no money you know right. like i know that we're bordering on like an actual, just like leftist podcast discussion about like what is <laughs> arguing about the different ways of the com, oh, like the different ways that communist society can go, like yeah. anarchism versus com. Commun- like, I don't want to have that discussion, but I think for now, like what you laid out, like the municipalities taking in that revenue and being able to like redistribute it in a way that actually improves the rest of that municipality like you basically just remove the owner from the equation and what you put in there is like is this collective group of people who live in that city or like people who live in that state or whatever it is, whoever actually ends up owning these teams because it's kind of impossible like in the current political landscape it's impossible to imagine an industry That you know of that is not like a multi-billion dollar industry. You know, like small industries are not really a a thing in America anymore. It's just gone. All of it has gone to like conglomeration. And if we're going to have that, we might as well utilize some of those funds in real world ways that help real people. And I think that that is like a, it's a really interesting arc for baseball to go from this thing that's thought of as like part of the cultural fabric of America, to have that idea completely bastardized, completely privatized, co-opted, and then to take that back and realize that cultural identity in a way that is more meaningful than it ever was even when it started, I think that sounds pretty ideal to me. Or as ideal as we're ever going to get to in our lifetimes yeah i think that
3: you know and i an ideal world sees at the same time that baseball is changing like just a general realignment of the rest of our cultural climate political climate right that i think baseball can do a lot as a vehicle for unity and as an example of what collective power really looks like and i think that that can continue to be the case where sports baseball can be a leader in that arena so to speak and and be a vehicle for international solidarity and support as well you know i think a an ideal leftist baseball future involves the kind of democratization of sports not only in the us but worldwide right i mean and i guess this gets to the question of like are we talking about you know what is the ideal future for major league baseball or yeah. the future of baseball the sport in general which i think are, are radically different things right we can hope for the the upending of major league baseball's economic system that actually feeds the money that it is creating back into its communities or we can hope for something that's even more distilled and broken down than yeah. that something that incentivizes civic pride that incentivizes like global
2: solidarity and touchstones of human existence right exactly yeah. and but i mean that, that's a, like a completely different question too though and an interesting one at that and like that so interesting that this is almost like its own full episode that <laughs> you know we could like spend a whole hour and a half and talk to a bunch of other people about but like the idea that in the ideal leftist world like there there are things that government and society provide to you that are both not up for debate human needs but also human wants and baseball being one of those things where it's like you should be provided the opportunity to do a thing that is not essential but also is like enriching to mm-hmm. your life yeah. and you're currently not provided that opportunity with any sport in most places really but especially America i mean america is like no you have to pay to do literally anything here and i think that those two tracks run parallel to each other but are slightly different conversations but interestingly enough like it's i find it interesting that you thought of that at the same time as this and i only thought of like major league baseball teams and upending their uh, economic structure yeah because i don't I, think you you can't really get one without the other like if right. we are going to blow up the idea of private ownership of Major League Baseball teams, we might as well do it all at once. Like, we might as well be like, and at the same time, every kid plays baseball for free here.
3: Right, yeah. I mean, I you think of it, you have to think of it at the top and the bottom, right? Of like, how do we both remove the strongholds that 30 billionaires have on the sport and also increase the accessibility of the sport in the smallest towns across the The country right whether that's bringing more (laughs) minor league teams or making games much cheaper or free to attend right like there are plenty of ways to actually engender like support for the the sport that goes beyond you know just i want all the teams to be better
2: i've been kind of thinking about this i mean i know we're going really long here but one last thing on one last thought on this question I don't know why it seems like there's such a big gap between turning baseball into like national parks, you know, like I guess because of the 30 billionaires and all of their political influence in the way, but, and it's not even like national parks are being run perfectly or are getting all of the funding that they need. But I think that like one of the things that is unabashedly kind of amazing about the United States still is like how many beautiful upkept national parks are here and how you can just like go there and Maybe pay a little bit to pay for the upkeep, but also it's like a place that you can go and is like still available <laughs> to the public. Yeah. It just seems like that is like the last domino that's going to fall before I completely quit on the idea of anything being cool here. <laughs> and a a version of that where like the baseball team is like Central Park, you know, the baseball team is like the public park for the city. Right. I don't think that we're that far from that. I think that we could get there in our lifetimes. Like it would take a lot of change and it would basically take the baseball economic structure as it functions now bottoming out. But it's not like there's nothing in society that we could point to and be like, why can't baseball be like that?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we'd have to stop chipping away at the National Park Service and public <laughs> yeah. public land first, right? Yes. Like are still currently is going in the far wrong direction on the other side of things. <laughs> yeah. But I I agree with that sentiment and I don't think it's like a I mean it is a pipe dream cuz like we're never going to get there, but like what is you know, why not what why fight for anything if you can't, you know, dream a little bit about what you're fighting for?
2: What a wonderful place to end, Alex. Uh, That does it on 2021. That does it on this episode of Tipping Pitches. Please remember that you can acquire your own Tipping Pitches merch, unionize the Miners, Steel Bases, Not Wages, The Wonderful Design of an Elephant, Standing on a Billionaire, Baseball Owner, Stickers, The Whole Nine over at tiny.cc backslash nationalize. And if you've enjoyed an episode of Tipping Pitches this year please share it with someone else you think might enjoy it, whether it's this one or one from the past or if you have a favorite episode that you really enjoyed and you just want to let us know, we would love to hear from you. Uh, I look forward to a lot of the stuff that we have planned for January.
3: Yeah, I do too. Thank you everyone for tuning in this year, for your continuing support. We look forward to, to getting back after it in the new year. you go
4: anywhere